Hey, everybody, this is episode 31 of Artist Soapbox. Hello, and welcome to Artist Soapbox, a podcast featuring triangle area artists talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I'm Tamara Kassane. Today, I'm talking with Katie Coop, the festival production manager for the Women's Theater Festival. Throughout this episode, you'll hear us refer to the Women's Theater Festival as WTF. In the first half of our conversation, we discuss Katie's work with the Women's Theater Festival and the training provided to potential directors and producers for this year's festival. In the second half of our conversation, we talk about art and politics, Katie's decision not to become a lawyer, and the value of theater criticism for the local artist. Based in Raleigh, North Carolina, and founded in 2016, the Women's Theater Festival creates, produces, and promotes extraordinary theater by women through their summer festival, where each play was written by a woman, directed by a woman, and features a diverse cast and crew that's at least 50% female. In addition, the Women's Theater Festival produces a 24-hour play festival called Occupy the Stage, paired with workshops, classes, and panel discussions. The theme for the Women's Theater Festival 2018 is Women Are Heroes. See links in the show notes. In addition to being the festival production manager for Women's Theater Festival, Katie Coop is a writer and theater artist based in Cary, North Carolina. Her most recent projects include directing Space Girl by Maura V. Harris and Little Women, adapted by Lorelai Lemon with the Women's Theater Festival. In addition, she has written theater criticism for Triangle Arts and Entertainment, Indie Week, and HowlRound. As a freelance writer, she has had essays published in Electric Literature, Femsplain, Feministing, and Aloe. Her play, The Amazing Cunt and Little Bitch Take Your City, has been produced in part and in whole in New York City, Minneapolis, and Raleigh. As her day job, she works as an SEO marketing writer, managing the websites and blogs for a variety of companies with the Wake Forest, North Carolina-based company, Web Badger. She also runs Plucky Media, a pop culture criticism website, on the side with co-founder Sarah Coop, who is her sister and frequent artistic collaborator. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Katie. Thanks for being here. Hi. Why did you get on board with the Women's Theater Festival in their very first year? I had been kind of working in the area for a while, and I was kind of unsatisfied. I was, like, only getting cast in, like, Shakespeare shows as, like, a servant. <laughs> and I, um, I was, like, trying to produce my play, the amazing cunt and little bitch take your city exclamation point um for a while i was basically getting like rejection letters every single day and i had had like a like a teeny tiny production of like just like five minutes of the play in new york Mm. with raw theatrical uh uh duct tape and a dream bill and it was a scene with characters with duct tape over their mouths so it fit (laughs) i also went to meredith college so i was very used to the idea of like women working in theater and i thought maybe they'd want to produce my play so that's basically why i got on board okay and now you are the production manager of the festival 
Is this a new role for the Women's Theater Festival? Yes, it's new. It's just sort of um, to make sure that all of the shows like stay on track and have the support they need. Because, you know, when you try to do a festival with, I feel like in the first season, we tried to do six, maybe seven shows in one summer. Uh, We've reduced that to five. But five shows with five different directors and five different production teams is a lot. In the past, things have gotten kind of chaotic. Actors have dropped out. You've had to, like, replace last-minute technicians. Even some runs of shows have been canceled. So they created this position so that directors could be, like, trained and, like, have the support they need. Mm -hmm. In the description of your role, you noted that you meet with directors and production staff to help make sure they have everything they need and every show in the festival stays on track, which you mentioned, and that you also help to train them. Mm -hmm. I'm really interested in this this training, I think you all call it Women's Theater Festival U, mm-hmm. learning series for producers and directors. It's a rebooted director training sequence to fully prepare theater artists for every step of the Women's Theater Festival process. Would you talk a little bit about what those trainings look like and why they were developed? Yes. Boot camps have existed before. But, of course, I didn't attend them, so I don't know what happened. (laughs) But basically what I did is I took, like, every section of the pitch form and I made a PowerPoint slide. And so I was able to, like, walk directors through, like, every step of the pitch form so they, like, don't get confused. Because part of the pitch form is, like, not only, like, conveying, like, your artistic vision and why you're good for the project, but also, like, pitching production budgets. And I, like, screenshotted my own pitch forms and, like, how my budget has worked in the past two times I've done the festival to, like, help answer questions. Mm -hmm. It's basically what my WTFU series was doing and then I also had a second session where they would email me their pitch forms and video pitches and I told them if they needed to fix anything. Mm -hmm. So just to help everybody understand how this works, the Women's Theater Festival accepts pitches from directors and or producers and then the members vote on the plays that they would like to see produced as a course throughout the course of this festival. And what Katie's talking about is the form that these directors and producers need to complete pitching their show. And that includes a written portion, but then also a live portion that you all streamed on Facebook this year as well. And then those videos were sent out to members who couldn't attend live. And then we all voted on on the shows that we wanted to see. What has the response been from the pitch makers, the people who are putting forth their shows to be directed through the Women's Theater Festival. What did they think about this learning series? They seemed to like it a lot. Like, a lot of people had questions that couldn't necessarily always be answered. You know, there's only so much people can answer over Facebook Messenger, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I was able to explain to them, like, you know, what a normal budget for WTF looks like and what people need for production teams and what's, like, expected of, like, directors and different types of designers. 
So it just like helped answer a lot of questions. And also we had like seven pitches this year, which was a lot, but it was cool. So let's get into the details a little bit. When you put up the expectations for directors, what might those include? The director is basically in charge of directing the show and running production meetings at its core. They're supported by their producer, which is sort of, I like to think, as like the accountability buddy that helps them like make production calendars, schedule production meetings, make sure everybody has their contract signs, helps, helps make sure everything stays on track. I'm like the super producer where I make sure everything stays on track and I'm copied on all the rehearsal reports. And from there, they they hire their staff. Basically, a producer does, like, clerical things, and the director is, like, the artist. Mm-hmm. And are the directors this year new to directing? Is that Was that part of the idea of these, this learning series of people who, haven't, who don't have a lot of experience um, to help them kind of get up to speed and feel supported? Yes. Historically, WTF has had a lot of first-time directors. So that's really how this position came to be. There's some people um, that pitched that were first-time directors. Some people had directed before or worked in other positions where they've worked as a designer or a stage manager, but never like a a full-fledged like directing thing. So it just helps them understand what they should be doing. Mm-hmm. I really like this idea of everybody being on the same page as far as expectations and ways of working. I mean, there's there's still a lot of room to kind of put your own stamp on a thing, but because this festival is so complicated and there are so many moving parts in a relatively short amount of time, I imagine that it really helps the efficiency and effectiveness of each production for everyone to know what they're supposed to be doing, what their jobs are, who's in charge, all of that sort of thing. And to have everybody come to the same place and have you explain it to them probably also helps uh, cut down on your your workload. I think you also recently had, was it a design fair for directors and designers? Yes. And that like presentation was all streamed on Facebook Live because I knew that a lot of people couldn't make it. We haven't had like a lot of like benchmarks for designers to meet in the past so I wanted to like give hard deadlines of like this is when you need to send me your costume plot if you design this is I would like you to send me my renderings by such and such a date so that I can see that like you have a plan mm-hmm. and stage managers I need you to copy me on every single rehearsal report and also this is how my rehearsal reports look, and you should maybe look like my rehearsal reports, but you don't have to. I did see that you put up your rehearsal report <laughs> on Facebook Live, and I was thrilled because Katie stage managed a show I was in recently, and your rehearsal reports were incredible. They were very thorough, but and they were very consistent, and you were on it, and I love a good rehearsal report. So I'm so pleased to see that you included that because I just don't think everybody knows. You know, how do we train our staff locally here for, for local theater. They're, it's It seems very haphazard. So being able to equip people with the tools that they need to do their best work seems like a really important thing to do. What does the rhythm look like for your job? When did you start working on this festival season and what do you expect the rest of your year will look like? I got on with WTF in January. 
And so January, February, I scheduled all of the WTFU sessions. March, February is usually when WTF is accepting their pitches and when they have voting. And then by March, April, the shows are selected and directors, if they don't have their production staff, are getting their production staff. And April, we have auditions. In the past, we've had big group auditions, but this year we're actually doing individual auditions throughout the month, which we're currently scheduling. May, everyone's in rehearsals. Uh, This year, there will be Love Mama Day in May, which is going to be a sort of fundraising, also just like Mother's Day event. So May, they're rehearsing. June, they're rehearsing, or they are opening throughout June, and then July. And of course, in June, Occupy the Stage will happen, which is the all-night reading of plays, some like 10 minutes, some full length. This year, there's, it's also going to be like a little different. In the past, we've done like workshops spread out over the whole festival. But this year, it's going to try to be like a WTF con. So there's going to be like panels and like workshops in addition to the plays going around the clock. And the shows will just go until August. So that's just sort of what it looks like for me. <laughs> and then, assuming that you want to do this next year, Will you then start planning for the following year shortly after it closes? I would like to. That would be a good plan. (laughs) Are you in charge of Occupy the Stage as well? I am not. So this is a huge job that not a lot of people would sign up for. It probably requires an enormous amount of organization and also herding cats and putting fires out. And it seems like that will only ramp up as you get closer to these shows opening. Why does this position interest you? And what skills do you think are especially important for a production manager to have? I saw the job position and I was like, that looks hard, but it, it looks like something I'd be good at. <laughs> um, I usually gravitate towards more like organizational, like, Uh, making a giant doodle or a Google form and like assembling all the data and making sure everything lines up perfect. That's like something I gravitate towards in theater. So it seems like something that I would be good at. And in the past, I just, I like to help people basically. And because of my experience, I've worked as a stage manager, actor, director, props manager, producer, I know the basics of costume design, even though no one should let me near a sewing machine. (laughs) And I've, uh, I've worked in a scene shop. So I know like all of these like aspects of theater and I know how they work together. So I thought I could take that knowledge and help someone that maybe came like straight from acting, Mm -hmm. actually manage a production. What do you think are the major successes, the things that you're proud of so far? And I realize you're kind of at the beginning of this, but what do you think went really well? And what would you change next year if you were to do this again? I would definitely start planning earlier. I think if I had started locking down and planning the um, WTFU sessions in 
like even December as opposed to January, it would have been easier to like get that interest and make sure it was like totally, completely organized. And what do you think went well? People had way more questions than I anticipated. Like when I saw the pitch form the first time, like in 2016, because it's it's been pretty much the same form Mm -hmm. since then. I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this in three hours. But people have a lot of questions, and I'm glad I was able to answer them. What were some of the biggest questions that that people had? Well, it's like budgeting. Like, people were very, very concerned about budgeting. And everyone would be concerned about budgeting because it's money, and money is kind of scary, and theater is very, very, very expensive. And if you've never done it, you don't know how much things cost. So that was a big question. Also, like, finding designers, which is always hard. Those were, like, the two big questions. And um, the difference between Occupy the Stage and the proper WTF festival. Do you think people have questions about money because they're afraid if their budget's too high, they won't get selected to have their show produced? Or do you think that they, as you mentioned, that they just don't know what these numbers are. I mean, if you talk to just kind of the average person in the world, they would have no idea how much it would cost to put together a show. I think it's a combination of both. I kind of had like the lucky experience the first year in the festival where I was not in a theatrical space. I was in the back room of the Green Monkey, which doesn't have any lights. It doesn't have a sound system. It's just, like, a room with, like, a closet in the back. So I actually had to calculate, like, you know, how much are a couple clip lights on Amazon? What's a cool way? Oh, I could buy EL wire for 20 bucks, and I can just tape it on the walls. Mm-hmm. Well, if I don't really have a place to change actors, these are the amount of costumes I can put. So... I have the benefit of, like, how to make a theater from scratch with the least money possible. Where it's like, you know, some people, if you're in a more traditional space, it's like, are you paying booth rental? Are you paying a board up? Do you need to add lights to the space? And so I've just been able to give them just, like, a base, like, this is how much people usually pitch mm-hmm. and stuff. And how much do people usually pitch on average? It's pretty – people usually pitch kind of low. Um, I would say for lights, people usually pitch around 200, um, which sounds like a crazy low number, but it actually usually works because we've been gravitating towards more like traditional theater spaces where people aren't really having to buy lighting instruments. The lighting instruments are there, and if people need to be paid to stay in the space during the show, that's something that WTF is already factoring in with their, like, larger budget. I see. Okay. Usually uh, royalties are the biggest chunk. Okay. And is is that – that's per performance, right? Yes. How many performances does each show have? They run for two weeks. So depending on – how many days of the week are picked say the first weekend's like friday through sunday Mm -hmm. and maybe the second weekend is 
Thursday through Sunday. I guess that would be like seven shows. So, Katie, you mentioned that you have experience doing many different things in the world of theater. You're playwright, director, stage manager, theater critic slash writer, producer. Why have you been drawn to doing so many different things within the theater universe? I went to Meredith College, which has like a small theater program. There's like four professors and there's a relatively small student pool when it comes to actual theater majors. I only had one other theater major that like graduated with me and she graduated early. (laughs) You know, right away they're like, hey, can you ASM? Hey, do you want to do props? Uh, Hey, you like design. Do you want to maybe design Audrey too? So you just end up doing a lot of things. And I've always known that like my like sell it to people skill is writer. So I've been developing that for quite some time. I started freelancing in school and I also freelanced after school because I couldn't get a full-time job. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Then I started working as a content writer and I still freelance sometimes. As a writer online and as a playwright, you are clearly operating from a strong feminist viewpoint. Why is that important to you? I've always been really liberal and politically involved. And I went to Meredith College, so if I wasn't already liberal, I got, like, an extra, like, feminism boost. And I'm also, like, a millennial, so, like, I read bell hooks on Tumblr. So it's, like, (laughs) (laughs) so, like, between, like, Sherlock gifs, there would be, like, quotes from bell hooks (laughs) that, like, I learned. So it's... Like, I come from a a liberal background. Both my parents are liberal. I went to an all-women's college where I could just, I just had the voice to do whatever I wanted, and no one suppressed me. Like, I got to, like, direct and devise shows. I did the vagina monologues, like, every single year and directed it as well. Mm -hmm. So it was just sort of, it's just sort of who I am. Mm -hmm. What would you say to people who discourage artists from getting political? I think it's really, really hard to separate politics from art. I've always like kind of hated people that were like, I hate politics. Because like, how can you hate something that matters so much? It's and like, if I wasn't in theater, I would be like in law school getting ready to be a politician. I personally can't separate politics. Eve Ensler is, like, my favorite person. <laughs> and the vagina monologues were really important to me, even though I know, like, it kind of has, like, a trans-exclusionary, like, kind of thing, though they're trying to be better, though it's kind of problematic. But feminist theater has always been the theater that I've been attracted to. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't be an artist and not be political. You said that if you weren't in theater, you would be in law school pursuing politics. Why are you attracted to theater? Why aren't you in law school? Well, number one, I took a constitutional law class, and writing briefs like was <laughs> really, 
really labor-intensive and not in a fun way. Number two, I didn't go to school to study theater. I got to Meredith, and I knew that I was probably going to be like an English major or writing major. But I got to Joyner, which is the building where all of the humanities are, except for like the arts. And it was this like dilapidated building with like teeny tiny desks that were smaller than the desks at my high school. And I was like, I don't want to write here. And then I got to theater and I took a directing class as a non-major, which is ridiculous. But I was sitting in the black box, and it was like, if I'm going to be a writer, I'd rather write in a black box. Hmm. So that's why I chose it. I mean, I always did, like, musicals in high school. So when I went to college, I was like, you know what, Katie? You need to work tech theater to figure some things out. So I was, like, always there. But I was, like, a non-major. They're like, why are you here? I want to help paint sets. Hmm. And they're like, why? (laughs) and I just kept coming back, and then one day I was like, you like it here. You should study this. So I did. I'm an artsy person, and I love the collaborative nature of making theater, that it's not isolated. It's like groups of people working together to, like, make something beautiful. And at the end of the day that was more attractive than going into politics. I'm curious about the theater criticism and writing that you do and you've done for several different online publications. Does writing about theater change your relationship to making it? As a theater artist, it's already like kind of weird going to shows. Like, immediately, even if I'm not reviewing it, I'll just be sitting and I'll be like, I wonder how they did that lighting effect. Or, oh, that's an interesting sound choice. So, like, when you've done theater for a while, you just start, like, picking apart, like, what productions are made of. So, personally, criticism doesn't really change my relationship to theater because... It's already there. The reason I went into it was actually, like, free tickets. Because theater can be expensive. I do it just because, like, when I read a theater review, not to be shady, but the thing I hate the most is when someone just, like, summarizes the show. They don't say anything about it. They just, like, summarize the show. And that's all they do. And they're like, and here's a number of stars. I didn't tell you why I did this number of stars. I just summarized it, but here it is. So I review in the context of, I know theater. These are the technical elements that were good. These were the technical elements that didn't work. These are the performances that worked. These are the performances that didn't. Here's what I think they did in the context of the space. And when you are sitting down to review a performance, you're talking about this worked, this didn't work. What does that mean? Like, What are you looking for as a person in the audience who's also going to be reviewing a show? I'm looking to see if the technical elements and the acting support 
the narrative, usually. And even whether or not the playwright is supporting their own narrative. (laughs) Just sort of looking at it as like, this is how they chose to tell this story. And this worked because I generally try to be pretty positive because I don't, unless like I had just like a horrible, horrible experience, I don't think it's helpful to like do like a hurtful review. What are your thoughts generally about theater criticism or theater reviews? And I mean that in terms of how it can benefit the arts community or forge relationships between artists and community. Because sometimes I do wonder it's like, why are shows reviewed at this local level anyway? Sort of what is the, the point other than to give us some pull quotes to put on our, our website. Um, I mean, what do you think there's a larger purpose to writing about theater at this local level? I think writing about it at a local level, you know, of course, mostly theater people read theater reviews. Like, a lot of the general public is not going to be reading a lot of theater reviews. But I think choosing to write on it means that you're choosing to spend money on it which means that inherently it matters because like it's it's hard enough for artists to even get paid in this area so at least if people are reviewing them locally it like tells them that they matter and i i think that's really where the value is Katie what's next for you I am currently stage managing a children's show with Applause Youth Theater and it's called Yo, Vikings. Are you doing this right now? Yes, right oh. now. Okay, so we need to stop. I, I know I asked you the question about what's next for you, but I, I have to ask another sub-question. How are you managing all of this? Because you have a job, yes. and then you have all of these other smaller, they're not smaller jobs, but they're additional jobs. How are you managing the rhythm of your day and your schedule? I, I focus on like work during the day. And I try to focus on more like women's theater festival stuff and other stuff at night. Luckily, I I work from home. I have like a content managing job with a Wake Forest company, Web Badger, and we write marketing for a website. So luckily, like I'm a remote. So if I need to be flexible, I can be flexible. And I only really do one children's show a year. And that's usually how I justify it. And, you know, it's it's the biggest paycheck. Mm. <laughs> Children's shows do tend to pay more. So you're writing during the day. You're doing theater at night. Mm-hmm. You're stage managing this children's show for Applause Theater and Carrie. Yes. You're production managing the Women's Theater Festival. Anything else coming up? Nothing should be coming up. I'm trying to, like... Now that it's, like, festival time and the moors are over, I'm trying to, like, stay, like, free and clear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. But, like, the Yo! Vikings was on my calendar for a year. So, <laughs> And when you look beyond the Women's Theater Festival and you think about where you want to take your career in the theater because you're so multi-talented, do you have an idea of where you might want to go next, longer term? I definitely want to get back to writing, which is why, like, I'm trying not to take on any more projects. Because I haven't written a play in, like, 
two years. I've written like little 10 minutes, but not full length plays. So basically, I see myself finishing my plays and I'm production managing and like future. I see myself trying to get my plays published, getting back in the grind of like, you know, opening up all the deadlines every month and sending them to every theater that has deadlines. And I also see myself um, going into some other spaces a little bit more. Like, um, I have a website, uh, stayplucky.com, where <laughs> me and my sister Sarah, we write um, like pop culture reviews. And like, I want to transition into a little bit more of the YouTube space, a little. And. I also love video games, so I've been noodling around with um, <laughs> video game programming, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being here. It was wonderful to talk with you. Artist Soapbox is a listener-supported podcast. If you listen, kick us a few bucks through our Patreon page, patreon.com slash artist soapbox. We are recording today's interview at Chatterbox Studio, so check them out, chatterboxstudio.org. I will include links and information in the show notes for today's episode. Thank you so much, Katie. And we're out.